welcome to Functionally Fit Podcast. I'm Jen Rice, and I have a fantastic guest today. Her name is Lucy Smith, and Lucy is a mental health advocate, an author, and a podcaster. And um, Lucy and I met through a mutual um, like entrepreneur group, and Lucy's in the UK, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, Lucy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so Lucy um, has written a book that is called Stand Up to Anxiety. And this, this, this podcast is going to just be featuring kind of her story and how she got to writing this book. I mean, you know, it didn't just sort of happen overnight, right? This is a process that has come up. And so Lucy, I know I was reading that your own personal panic attack kind of brought this to be, but I'd like to, for you to share with uh, listeners kind of in your own words, how, how this has come about. Yeah, definitely. So I've always kind of been shy and lacked confidence and just generally struggled with um, that kind of thing. But I didn't really know anything about mental health back when I was in school. It wasn't really talked about words like anxiety and depression weren't really talked about like they are now. Um, and I didn't really know what was happening to me I just kind of thought that was normal I was shy I struggled to make friends and that was just who I was um, and I'd got to a point really where I'd accepted that as me and I was just living with it um, until like you say panic started and I began to have more severe panic attacks to the point where one day I had one so severe in a supermarket that I was just complete, I felt like I couldn't move. Everything felt completely out of my control. I was um, I was sweating, I was shaking, I was crying. Wow. I, um, yeah, it was horrible. And I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and that really, for me, was the moment that I realized that I needed to get some kind of help and that it actually wasn't normal. And there was a bit more to it than I'd first thought. Um, so yeah, that's when I began to realize really that it was something more than just a bit of shyness. Yeah. Now when, uh, how old were you about this time? And did you, um, like, I remember being a bit of an anxious child. Like I can remember kind of going through things when I was very young, like I want to say grade school time. I remember like I had some inkling of anxiety even then, but I guess I didn't have that word to it. Um, how, how do you remember things like this as you were younger than this or not? No. So that panic attack that I experienced in the supermarket was actually not until my late teens. Mm. Um, but yeah, like you say, during school, I was just a bit shy and worried a lot, but just thought that was normal. And I didn't have the word anxiety to put to the feeling. Okay. And so were your, do you, did you maybe model this behavior from someone in your family or are you kind of the first sort of anxious person in your family? I mean, I, I come from a long line of <laughs> anxious women on my mom's side of the family. So um, it was just, did you sort of see that in your family growing up or no? So I definitely think that my nan has um, panic attacks. She doesn't so much anymore because she um, unfortunately has dementia now. Mm. Um, so although in a way it's kind of nice because she doesn't have her panic attacks anymore and she feels like she's a bit more free. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after my granddad died, um, both of our anxiety got a lot worse now. And I feel like looking back, I can see it really clearly. That's when mine began to get worse. I was only 14 at the time. 
Um, and my nan obviously then living on her own, she began to experience um, panic attacks. Um, like I say, we didn't know what it was back then for me and we didn't for her either. Um, and she used to just say she felt dizzy and hot and upset and she didn't really know what was going on. Um, and it was basically every time we went to leave the house. And I think now looking back, she was having a panic attack that she was about to be left on her own again. And she had to go to sleep at night without my granddad for the first time in years. And I, I think, yeah, looking back, she definitely had panic attacks. So my mom and I have talked about this, um, well, in detail, uh, you know, anxiety, we're both pretty open about talking with each other about it. And she said that she remembers them referring like in the olden days to things like as a spell. So-and-so is having a spell. So she's staying home right now, but that wasn't, um, it wasn't connected as a, you know, an anxiety attack or a panic situation. It was just, it was called something to kind of minimize it a bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel really grateful that it's more talked about now. I think it's so important just to put a name to the feeling and just make sure that we all believe it's normal and that it's okay to go through it. Yeah, it's, uh, there was a lot of stigma um, I, around it through, I think, even the 80s and, um, you know, the 90s. And, and definitely, I know when my mom was my age, she didn't know what was wrong with her. Yeah. And they weren't really talking about it. So I love that we have this open conversation that we can... Um, and I know that, like, with age, too, these things kind of seem to get better at times, but not necessarily. I think people end up learning to adapt more. And I know you talk a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy, and your book has a companion um, journal with it, right? And so there, is, there can be pro reprogramming at any age. And, and yeah. I think sometimes we don't realize the things we may be doing to limit the uncomfortable place or position uh, and, and we may be missing out on some things. Yeah, definitely. I always um, refer to it that you can't overcome um, or stop anxiety. It's all about understanding and then learning to manage it. Were you, so did you also then find yourself avoiding um, when you first started having symptoms, did you then just begin avoiding the things that were, because I think for someone listening who's not really sure if that's what they're having or if it's just like nerves or whatever, um, I think if you start avoiding situations that you normally would have done, right, did you kind of do that sort of thing or miss things? Yeah, so um, like I said, obviously my first panic attack was in the supermarket. Um, luckily I did then kind I don't know how I did it I remember it so clearly being sat in my car and phoning the doctor's surgery but then not being able to find the words to describe how I was feeling and just crying down the phone to the receptionist um, so she um, made me an appointment with the doctor who then referred to me to the counsellor so it was picked up on really quickly um, from my first panic attack to seeing a counsellor and she was able to tell me that that's normal, They're one of, that's one of my anxiety triggers. We also learned that another one was driving, um, which I kind of stopped doing. I hadn't really been driving much um, recently because I, I was struggling there and I didn't like it very much and it was just too scary for me. Um, so I kind of stopped and I started avoiding that. Um, but my counsellor helped me to work through different techniques to help me with 
actually facing that and going out every single week to be able to face that trigger and eventually make it more comfortable for me. So the so for anyone who is listening that may not be familiar with how cognitive behavioral therapy works, what it is, could, can you explain a little bit of that to, to, to us? Yeah, definitely. So cognitive behavioral therapy is all about your thoughts and behaviors and being able to recognize patterns. So for example, a pattern for me was that every time I was in my car driving, I felt like I was going to be in a car accident and that I was going to die. Um, so you recognize that as a catastrophizing thought. Um, I'm, I'm imagining the worst case scenario, more than likely it's not going to happen. Um, I've actually never been in a car accident, so I don't know what makes me think that I'm going to be. Um, so it's all about kind of rationalizing those thoughts. Um, obviously, the behavior was that I was avoiding it. So you, you recognize those patterns for the trigger. And then you think of a more helpful way to, to change that. So for me, with the driving, I went out every week and I practiced driving and I wrote a log of how it went. So I said, literally, I, I was fine. Nothing bad happened. Um, and over time, you begin to prove to yourself that there's a lot of evidence that you're going to be OK and that the trigger isn't actually as scary as you believe it is in your head. Um, so that's for me, it was the most powerful technique that I used, especially for driving. Um, but you can use cognitive behavioral therapy for absolutely anything to do with anxiety. Um, it's really, really helpful for you to recognize the patterns and to be able to think of a more helpful pattern to replace them instead. Yeah, I, I love this because um, probably there's a lot of people, maybe just a, you know, a couple of people very close to me that even know this, but uh, I mean, definitely Dennis knows it because he's, he's with me all the time, but I have triggers of um, big, big, big building elevators, like the ones that are like into towers. And so I would kind of avoid, I don't know, these high uh, scenic places, but then you see the best things up there. So I made a decision several years back because I realized this was a trigger, you know, sweating, the this, the that. And I just try, it, it's a big deal. Like every city we go to, we find like a high thing and we go up in it and I don't die. <laughs> and I, uh, I might sweat a little and uh, same with, you know, like maybe gondolas. So it's kind of this height thing a little bit, but I do believe that there's, there's these things that we build up more in our minds that aren't really like quote unquote fearful, but they uh, were allowing it to build on itself and build. And like, then you're pouring more energy into it. And then there's more dread and energy. And so that's just like a one part for me, but what I wonder about and kind of worry about health wise for others out there is this last year we've been through with the virus and the you know pandemic. If you're listening to this in, in the recording, this is uh, May of 2021, a year ago at this time, in the United States, anywhere where I am uh, in Florida, we were in uh, what was like a considered a nationwide lockdown. Um, I think we came out about May 11th, different countries were on different schedules. But at any rate, uh, it was the first time in, in my lifetime and in anyone who's probably around in, in that we had anything like this happen. And so I think as we pull through this and move into life again, there are different 
anxiety situations coming up that would have never crossed our minds, I think, before. And so I think that what you're offering is very timely because the fear can wrap into so many, like your grocery store. I mean, that, that's a very real thing now for people worried about the grocery store. Exactly. And it's really funny you say that because I'd actually learned to manage that trigger and it was something that I could do. And then when COVID hit and everything um, like began to be in lockdown as well in England, I, again, couldn't go to supermarkets. I remember I went with my partner once and I had a huge panic attack again. And it had been years since I'd had a panic attack in a supermarket. But because now there was a new thing involved, I had something else to be afraid of, something that I was unsure of at the time. Um, yeah, well, of course. And isn't, isn't, but hasn't COVID been like, an anxiety person's dream like <laughs> like we can blame everything on COVID it's like you know it's like a total scapegoat but it's yeah so I mean we can laugh about it but it's so true that like this is like an anxiety if someone who tends to be anxious this is just like this is like the coup de gras of um something to be anxious about right definitely but it so, does also work as a good excuse because I also have social anxiety. So I can be like, sorry, I can't come out. COVID. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, me too. I my one of my other triggers um is was big events like um big concerts, big stadiums, big, you know, just where tons of people are. And I kind of worked my way through all of that. And now I'm like, uh oh. Now we gotta go. <laughs> so it does feel like it does feel like starting over and in a way that's frustrating mm -hmm. because when you've done a lot of work and if some, anyone listening also has been through anxiety, depression, and you've done a lot of work and now if you're feeling like you're two steps back, they're not alone, right? Because you're there, I'm there. I don't know. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've written a book about it and I'm still back there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love. So tell us a little bit about... Um, you, I, I noticed on, um, you, you talk about high functioning anxiety. So people that are very high functioning, but have anxiety, how, how do people know if that's them? What is, what does that look like? Yeah. So I think it's really, it can be quite hard to know when you're high functioning because it, from the outside, it looks like you're coping completely fine. It looks like you're doing well, you're working hard. It's all going well for you. Um, and I think even for you, it can feel like it's okay. Um, maybe you just feel like you love your job or you, um, you're, you're a really hard worker. When in actual fact, if you look under the surface, you're actually doing that out of worry. So um, for example, if you're a perfectionist and you really work hard, like crazy hours to try and get something completely perfect, um, so it's it's really hard and I, I would suggest professional help for that kind of support um, purely because obviously I can't say to anybody on the live stream or the podcast that um, they're experiencing this because I don't know them personally and I'm not trained to do so obviously um, but I think just recognizing that if it's if it feels really severe to you then it probably is something that needs professional help if it's something that doesn't massively affect um your life um which high functioning anxiety obviously can do because it you can still function you can still operate quite normally even though you have anxiety so it's a lot harder to diagnose um but yeah i would definitely suggest just reflecting self-reflection thinking about what's going on 
journaling is really good um, to help you get to the bottom of things um, and then seeking professional help if you feel you need it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, we definitely want to have a plug for um, therapy. There was a time when therapy was sort of um, only, I guess you'd say wealthier people could get it or this kind of thing. And actually they've made it more affordable. I think with the, the one thing, uh, there's been several good things from the last year, but online access to uh, counselors or therapists that in, in almost any geographic area is really available for people. I don't like uh, have any sort of relationship with any particular online, um, you know, larger group, but I know that there's a lot of them out there and that can be a great place to start too, because I think the investment is small financially initially. And then if you find it's helpful, they can continue on with that. So um, tell us a little bit about what drove you to write this book. Um, I, I was reading that when you were going through what you were going through, you were kind of looking for resources and you just, there just wasn't anything that was really like, you know, really hitting it for you and, and, and helping yeah. you. So, so share, share a little bit about that with us and, and how the book came about. Yeah, so it was actually my counsellor that recommended the first book for me. Um, before then, I didn't even know that self-help was even a thing, um, which is crazy because now I feel like the self-help industry is literally my life. <laughs> so it's hard <laughs> right. to think of the time that I didn't know about it. Um, so she recommended a book to me, but it was about 600 pages long and it was about mindfulness, which oh. I hadn't heard. And I, I ordered this book and it arrived and I was like, whoa, I don't even feel like I can open it, let alone read it, because it was just too much. It was too big, too overwhelming. Yeah, it was really, it was really wordy as well. There was a lot of words I didn't understand. Um, and it just actually made my anxiety worse rather than helping. Um, and still to this day, I've never read this book. I keep wondering whether I should order it now because I'm probably ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm no, that's a lot done. of pages. That's, uh, yes. No. So then yeah. you were thinking, okay, I'm not going to read this. Now I'm, uh, right? Where am I going to? So, so then you thought you might create something that could help other people. But in your own journey, did you then go online to like videos or? And yeah, so it was a really long gap between my counsellor and actually writing my books. My book I only wrote in 2020, um, last yeah, July last year. Um, and yeah, basically I went on and I just Googled how to help anxiety, how to manage anxiety, how to manage anxiety. Um, how to understand anxiety I was literally just googling things like that and then watching every video I could listening to every podcast um, reading every article looking at every website and I spent hours and hours like going through it all figuring it all out trying it all and um, some things didn't work and I always say to people I work with not everything works for everyone mm -hmm. um, like a good example is um, deep breathing so deep breathing I absolutely love but if I'm having a panic attack, deep breathing actually makes my symptoms worse, um, which is completely normal. That's that's OK. So I now know that I shouldn't use my deep breathing in moments of severe anxiety or panic attacks. I can only use it when I'm feeling a lot calmer and um, either 
before one gets too bad to try and prevent it or after once I've calmed down, then I can use it to just relieve the symptoms at the end. But in that moment of really heightened anxiety, I just feel dizzy and like I'm going to faint if I start trying to do deep breathing. Um, so I think, yeah, it was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of effort, um, which I'm so glad I had the perseverance to actually go through with because I tried to think where I would be if I if I didn't. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, obviously, I wrote the book um, purely because I felt like it needed to be out there. It's um, it's under 100 pages long. On yes, purpose. that's what I was going to say. Um, it's not 600 pages. No. Yeah. yeah. So it's under 100 pages. There's no crazy long words about the brain and all the hormones and, or anything like that. It is just really simple and easy to understand. And that's the main review I get from people is that it's really effective because it's so simple and easy to understand. Yeah, I think that's fantastic and so much needed because if you want to dive deeper into the science, I mean, certainly there are, you know, things that you can, you know, read and do on that. But, but when you're needing an introductory kind of ready to like make a switch move things forward, something concise. I think this is perfect. So you were telling me we were, before we, we hit record, we were talking a little bit about um, when we had first chatted, you had the book out, but you were still working on a companion journal. And what made you, um, was it that um, people reading were asking or did you, were you getting lots of requests for this and, and tell us how that came about? Yeah, so a lot of readers of the book were asking for a journal. Um, and I know I, I personally love journaling and I know that journaling is a really helpful tool for anxiety. Um, so when, yeah, quite a few people asked. And then when one day I just thought, well, everyone keeps asking, so I just need to create. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. So what types of things are in the journal? It kind of follows the book or does it also, how does it work exactly? Yeah, so it's like a two-page spread daily journal um, and it follows on from the methods and the techniques in the book. So um, in the morning, you you plan six positive habits for the day. So for example, mine at the moment are meditate, visualize, journal, um, reading, uh, stop in technology at nine o'clock, which is a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and only eating two sugary foods is my last one, which again, work in progress. <laughs> yes, I love that you touch on food. That is a big thing uh, for me and something that I've talked about for um, yeah. well, three years now. And I didn't, I didn't know the connection mm -hmm. with sweets and depression, anxiety, same with processed foods uh, yeah. until I removed a lot of that and then didn't have as much depression and anxiety. And then I was like, huh, okay, well, there really is something to this. And we don't really realize that sh sugar makes you feel good though. And honestly, I still have a huge sweet tooth, a uh, big sweet tooth. Uh, but you're right. You got it. You try every day to keep it a little bit less, a little bit less, or, yeah. you know, maybe wondering why, um, like even last night I was thinking before uh, bed, I was like, oh, I wanna have, I think I want some hot cocoa with some whipped cream. And I'm thinking, do I really want that? Or am I feeling a little 
like, do you find that you crave the sugar when there's maybe something going on inside you that you're not really addressing, or maybe you're just sort of pushing down and then you're like, mm, I'm going to eat something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's a huge comfort. Um, like you can't be just curling up on the sofa with a hot chocolate and a bar of chocolate when you're feeling a bit rubbish. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't make it. I was like, you know, I'm thinking I'll just pass on that. I can always have that. It wasn't like I was trying to go without <laughs> But I, I wasn't really, there was something behind why I really wanted it. And that's where I think digging in with this journal and, and your book would be so wonderful because there are, I don't always stop myself from it. I mean, definitely mm -hmm. not, but there's a lot to that part of it. And I think that the more we, there is no pill, there is no prescription medicine. There are certainly ones that can be helpful and, I, and we're, not, we're not against any pharmaceuticals. They help a lot of people um and they they're much needed sometimes but to really heal really heal it's going to be an inside job right yeah definitely i think yeah like you say there's a place for everything and i've been on um anxiety medication in the past mm -hmm. um yeah like you say i mean i'm at my best now and i'm not on any medication and i don't have counseling and and i'm managing it purely on my own um so yeah, it can definitely be done. Can you share your, what your particular coping method is for, I never had panic attacks, but you know, knock on something, but um, you said the breathing doesn't help you. What does bring you back with that for yourself personally? I'm just, I mean, obviously this is not advice for anyone else, um, but it is interesting to see what may work um, because you can't do the, you're feeling like the deep breathing makes you spin up more. What do you do, like a visualizing or? Yeah, so visualizing is probably one of my favorites. Um, what I tend to do um, is visualize myself in a place that makes me feel really happy and calm. Um, so it's really nice if you can close your eyes and imagine in a lot of detail that you're in that place. So even to the point of if it's a warm, sunny day in your happy place, feeling the sun on your back um, oh. and the in your toes or hearing the waves or where if, for example if you're on a beach and um, so yeah that's one of my favorites um another one that I find really useful and there's um there's a lot of controversy around this one because a lot of people like it but a lot of people don't um which is distraction so I mean if I'm if I'm having a panic attack I'm not going to sit and watch a comedy show because it's not going to make me laugh it's not going to be funny because I'm going to be too panicked but once I've calmed down a little bit, or if it's just sort of um, mild or not quite severe anxiety, just sitting down and watching something that makes me laugh can sometimes distract me from the anxiety enough for it to not bubble up into something more. Um, but I don't recommend distracting and then never going back to the problem. I always like to like sort of evaluate and reflect, which is another part of the journal. Mm -hmm. um, purely because I don't think we should mask the problem. And I think that's why distraction kind of has a bad reputation because people think you're just masking the problem and not trying to solve it. Um, but I think it definitely has a time um, and a place really for helping with anxiety. It's definitely one that I like. Yeah. Um, it can be anything like people love to clean when they feel anxious. Yes. Um, yeah, I know that's that. done in the past. Um, again, obviously it could be seen as masking the problem and not actually sitting down and thinking about it. So make sure you do do that reflection after. 
Um, but for me, I think the most important thing is to actually get to a point where you understand your anxiety. Mm-hmm. So you know what all of your symptoms are, you know how it makes you feel and you know what your triggers are. So you know what's likely to cause you to feel anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by knowing those and being really clear on them, um, it, you can kind of learn to expect when your anxiety is going to happen. So it doesn't come as a shock, um, mm-hmm. which I think can then help it be easier to manage. Yes. Yes. And um, I think this has been so great, by the way. And I think if any, if you're interested in learning more about Lucy's book, it is Stand Up to Anxiety and it is on Amazon. Is that where you prefer people to order is through that Amazon or through your website? So the book is only available on Amazon. Oh, okay. um, Paperback and Kindle. The journal is available on Amazon as a paperback. um, But it's also now on my website as a pdf version because someone asked if they could have it as a pdf to be able to use it on an ipad oh um, or, or like a phone because they said that they prefer that because they can carry it around with them all day they can just get it out and write on it because um i'll just show you quickly so the anxiety reflection section here mm-hmm. um oh, great. you can fill out throughout the day with your triggers and symptoms that have come up um so she wanted to be able to just get her phone out and write on it throughout the day rather than having to build it all up until the evening to write in the paperback um so it's now available on my website as well as a pdf that's great because you know i am a paper pen person but i have some friends that literally write like if they can't write everything on their phone like they're not so i think that's wonderful because everybody does have different um ways that they prefer but also um, what's the most therapeutic for them too, because you wouldn't want to cause increase. Oh, I forgot to put it in my journal tonight. Or, you know, <laughs> then you're anxious That's about right, exactly. whether or not you filled out your journal. We don't want that. <laughs> so, um, we're going to put in the show notes, uh, ways to connect with you more. I know you have your mm-hmm. podcast and, um, on that podcast, you are, talking mostly to share a little bit about your podcast platform and what you talk about on there yeah so my podcast is called stand up to anxiety the same as the book and the journal um I like to keep it all simple (laughs) very good (laughs) um and yeah I talk a lot about like I've been talking about today understanding and managing anxiety um I talk about different visualization practices different mindfulness practices um, I also do interview guests on there. So I've had people on about yoga, about food, like we briefly touched on earlier. Um, and yeah, lots of different topics to help with understanding and managing anxiety. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, this has been so great. So before we finish up here, I was hoping you'd give us a couple since you know Mother's Day is around the corner here. And um, you know, we always talk, there's a lot of buzz about self-care in general, but if you could give like a couple tips that listeners could take to some simple things they could do to help with anxiety, um, that would be a wonderful way for us to wrap up. Yeah, definitely. So my first one would definitely be to journal. And I'm not saying that because I'm biased that I have one. (laughs) I literally mean like any, any notebook, even if it's just a plain notebook and you just journal on empty pages and that can be really effective. Um, Journaling is a really, really good way to 
to just think about how you're feeling, to express your feelings. Sometimes it can be really hard to put them into words um, and to be able to actually say it out loud to somebody. So I feel like journaling is a really good first step just to begin to understand a bit more about how you're feeling. Um, and the second one would be spending time outside in nature and mm. um, going for a walk without your phone if you can. Um, I personally love leaving my phone at home when we go for walks um, looking up at the trees around you, the flowers. If you can be around water, that's even better. Um, and just taking time to just be present in the moment, look around you and get out of the worries and craziness going on in your head. Yes, I love that. I love that. That is so, so wonderful. And I, I definitely use that nature escape often. But I, I have yet to pick up journaling on a regular basis. But I'm, I'm going to put that on my, um, maybe that's something I can ad adopt this year, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, like you say, it may cause people anxiety thinking about having to do it every day. Um, like for me, it's my own journal and I still don't write in it every day. I think I've had it about uh, two weeks now and I've missed two or three days. It's not the end of the world if you miss the odd day. So just be kind to yourself and don't be too hard on yourself if you do miss a day. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it and um, look forward to, hopefully you'll come back in the future. We can um, see what you're up to and uh, thanks so much. Thank you for having me.